Welcome to the Kesset Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us and hope you enjoyed today's sermon. If you'd like to find out more about Kesset, you can head to kessetchurch.com or find us on Facebook. Today's uh, quickening symbol is the lion. And everybody has guessed the story that I'm going to share in regards to the lion, and that's the story of Daniel. Now, because I tend to function more on my artist side of the brain, uh, I originally wanted to do a lion story without ever sharing anything about Daniel because too many people told me they knew I was going to talk about Daniel. And I realize that's kind of a pride thing, but it was something I was hoping to work out, but I just, I just couldn't. The story is so powerful, especially if you flip it upside down and inside out, and don't just let it be a Veggie Tales story that most of you are expecting me to share. (laughs) A bunch of people are like, dang it, that was my favorite part. So just thought, you are now a satellite campus, play, right? That's not not what we're going to do. So what I want to do is I want to share with you the story, but I want you to allow um, the reality of the story into your own story. I want you to put yourself into this man's situation. I want you to, to, to let it kind of soak into all the different things you're currently dealing with. Now, you might think the story of a man being thrown in a pit with lions just doesn't relate. You're like, well, I get it. I mean, I got a hard time at work, but they're not lions. But I think the principles that you might pull from the story, if you're willing to, to remove the cartoon and maybe some of the stuff you thought you already knew could be really powerful. I know that they were for me. Now, assuming most of us know the story would, would be foolish because I know, because I've met a lot of you, that some of you are brand new to church and you kind of have the idea, but you don't really know much about the context. So I do want to recap a little bit for those folks before we dive in to the principles I think Daniel and his life beg us to look at. For those of you who don't know anything about Daniel, he was an Israelite. He was living during a time when he was captured by the Babylonian kingdom. So all his people were moved into the kingdom of King Nebuchadnezzar. He was the king of Babylon. He besieged Jerusalem. And then he chose noblemen from Israel's royal household who were handsome and showed an aptitude for learning to be trained in the ways of the Babylonians. So he took all the, the stars, all the highly educated, all the gifted people from the nation that he had captured and he trained them as scientists, as astrologers, as seers. He trained them in the ways of the Babylonians because they were gifted learners. So he figured, why waste? we don't want to waste them, so let's use them for our benefit. And so he used these men, of which we know a few weeks ago, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were also a part. But Daniel, Daniel was head and shoulders above the rest. He was the greatest of these men. He was gifted in the ways of the Lord, and he was committed to who God was, in spite of the fact that most people in Israel at this time had really thought God had abandoned them. They were forsaken. They were lost. And for all intents and purposes, they were. They were waking up in another kingdom. They followed other rules. They, they had to live by other guidelines. They, they were living outside of their comfort zone and where they wanted to be, and many of them blamed God. And Daniel continued his faith. He was an encourager for them and an example to them of what it meant to be a follower of the Lord. After many years of captivity, a lifetime of captivity, a new king, Darius, reigns. And around him rose new advisors. And these new advisors wanted to be close to the king. But Daniel, after being there for so many years and serving the earlier king so well, was really quite prestigious 
in his role within the kingdom. And so they knew they needed to get rid of him because Daniel didn't follow the Babylonian customs fully. He still maintained his heart for his God. And so they decided to do something about it. If you have a Bible, it's Daniel chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 4. It says this, Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Daniel was well-known for many things, but one of the things the story says that Daniel was most well-known for was his prayer life. Daniel would go into his home. He would fall on his knees. He would open a window that faced the direction of Jerusalem, and he would pray and pray and pray and pray, and he never missed a day, and everybody knew it. And so these satraps, looking back, these, these, these men of power, looking back at Daniel's life, realized that if they could somehow manipulate the law to make it illegal for Daniel to pray, maybe out of his pure stubbornness to follow his God's law, they could catch him in something illegal. And so they form a lie, and they go to the new king. Verse 6. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom... Clearly not Daniel, but all the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any God or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the lion's den. It's an important part of the story. The first thing we need to realize is that the uh, the consequence for not following this law was the lion's den. This was not something that happened later in the story, and Daniel had no idea that this was actually on the table. It was written down. It was told to everybody that if you do anything but pray to the king himself, you will have this consequence. Now, this has always kind of bothered me, this part of the story, because uh, first off, the most common sense thing that Daniel could do is just like not pray for 30 days. I mean, I don't want to have us raise hands in here, but I have a feeling there's a whole lot of people just in this room who haven't prayed in the last 30 days, and you love Jesus. So the first thing would be like, 30 days, no prayer? Okay, see you in February, God. Like, I don't think, I don't, I don't feel like, like it would be that, that difficult. Here's the other thing, right? Pray differently. Like, go sit on a bench somewhere. Pray in a park where you can face the direction, and just keep your mouth closed and pray. You don't have to, like, make it obvious. Or here's the most obvious. Ready? Shut the window. Right? It doesn't, it's like, just shut the window. Then you can pray facing the direction in your house. Everything's the same. Three steps forward. Shut the window. You're good to go. No lions eating your face. Right? Those are good things. Those are good things. But Daniel, he, he, he just, he struggles with the idea of people controlling his his future and his, his relationship with God. And so he decides that even though the landscape is changing around him, he's going to continue to believe what he believes. Now, as Christians, I just want you to just take a second and tie this to your world. The landscape of our world has always been changing around us. And yet what we believe is what we've been called to believe. 
And there are seasons when we can pray with the windows wide open, music and all. And there are seasons where that prayer ends up with a consequence. And so a choice has to be made. Daniel had to make a choice. When he hears of this injunction, he has to really contemplate the consequence of that choice. Daniel is truly deciding at the very core, at the deepest core, not some philosophical level, but at the deepest core of his day-to-day life, he is deciding between the consequences of either the lions or disconnection from God for 30 days. Now, this is to highlight how important it is that we are connected to God. This is to highlight the the beautiful blessing we have that we can meet in this public school and talk about Jesus and talk about who he is. And still, so, and still many of you will still leave here not connected because you've decided that you have other things that are more important. But this story, for those of us who realize the importance of what it means to connect with God, is supposed to highlight the cost some people and still in other countries pay to this day to connect with their Lord. It's special, it's valuable, and it should be honored. Daniel decides he's going to choose the consequence of the lions. Daniel decides to continue in his prayer routine with the windows open facing Jerusalem, therefore making a choice to serve his living God and not the world he lives in, lions and all. Meaning, and do not miss this, the lions don't happen to Daniel. He chooses them. They're not... They're not something that just sprang up. They're not something that he was walking along and his plumbing backed up and he flooded his house and now all of a sudden he's homeless. Like this isn't some sort of situation that, that just happened to him. This was an injunction that required him to either shut the windows or shut his mouth or he would be eaten by lions. It was all very clearly lined out. And Daniel decides, because his connection with God is so important, he decides to choose the lion. It's a powerful, powerful platform for what happens next. This is why the lion symbol represents the quickening of choice. That's what it's supposed to mean today. All of us in this room have situations in our lives that cause us to make choices. Choices that bring honor to God or choices that bring honor to something local that's usually less painful than following God Therefore, bringing a consequence within the world that is painful or sad. I don't know what your choice is right now. And I think as we get further in here, the prayer and praying behind the sermon is that you will contemplate what these choices are that God is encouraging you to make. But I want you to notice that Daniel chose his. It didn't happen to him. I believe it's a Christian reality that many of the consequences we face We get to choose, therefore bringing glory to God in the suffering and glory to God ultimately in the outcome. As predicted, as consequence for his choice, evil quickly pounces upon Daniel's life. Verse 16 of the same chapter says, once the king had heard Daniel prayed, windows open, then the king commanded and Daniel was brought to and cast into the lion's den. The king declared to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. What he basically said was the world has judged you 
and the world has condemned you, and we seal your fate as such. And so stone goes over, seal laid upon, ring placed upon that. There is no hope for this man whatsoever because he has gone against the way we see the world should run, and he has instead chosen to follow this invisible God and pray to him always. I'd really like you to think about the reality of this picture as the stone above is falling over. I'd like you to also remember, as I've been pointing out, we, we highlight too often, um, and I don't want to echo previous messages, but I don't want you to ever miss these points in the stories. We make these Christian people in the Bible these like biblical superheroes, and we act like you know uh, Jonah, you know, swam down and found the whale and climbed in his mouth, or we act like you know Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, "Oh yeah, you think we're, we're tougher than fire? Our God is with us," and ran into the fire. Or Daniel said, "Lions? What lions?" You know, and backflipped down into the pit. In reality, all these people, the Bible says, had to be thrown in. Jonah had to be thrown over. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had strong men that threw them in who got, had to get so close to get them in, they themselves burned up. And even Daniel himself, although he was praying with that window open, when the stone moved and the lion's roars, he went, yeah, I don't, this isn't good. And they threw him down in. This is something really important to remember when you don't feel like making choices or facing consequences for your faith. Guess what? Nobody does. Nobody feels and is excited about, man, I get to go lose some friends today because I'm not going to get drunk this weekend. It's going to be so good to be like, pay that cost for Jesus. Do you know what I'm saying? Sit alone on Friday night while they Facebook subliminal messages about me to each other. It's going to be so good. Nobody feels good about it. And so, so many times there are other things in our lives that pick us up and throw us in. Many times all we have to do is choose that consequence. God will take care of the throwing. We have to choose to follow him. We have to choose to walk out the choice that he has presented before us that brings the most glory to him and who he is. When Daniel is down in this pit, I want you to imagine the darkness. I want you to imagine he's a very old man at this time, well over 80 years old, they believe. The fall alone seems like it might have been brutal because you got to have a pretty deep hole to keep lions in. No one ever thinks about that. I'm like, first off, time out. How did he survive? Did he just do a superhero fall? Like, right, you know, smoke went up, and then it was just Daniel battling lions. That's what people often imagine. I think he fell on his, on his back. Maybe he was unconscious. Maybe he wasn't. I think he did what all people do when they feel like prey. Nothing. Just your prey. There's beasts around that are going to eat you. I think he sat there quiet in the dark saying, God, I'm coming to see you soon. And then eventually, maybe after a few minutes, which a minute is a long time to be alone with a couple lions in, a, in the cage, by the way. That's not like, oh, a few minutes. Like, you're talking a minute of just holding your breath, hearing the rustling, maybe a growl, a tail switch. I think somewhere in there he looked up and he saw this. <laughs> I think at that point he fell back down. <laughs> and it's like, I knew it was going to be bad. But he's just there. If I pause the story right here, because I don't want you to miss some of the things that, that, that are here inside, this idea of Daniel being cast down, this idea of him being alone and vulnerable, this idea of him choosing the consequence of the lion's pit. If you haven't spent a lot of time in scripture, you may miss the subtlety of the picture being painted here. You don't realize that Daniel could have escaped this any other way. Even if he had chosen to still pray, God could have given him superhero strength. 
He could have, they could have, he could have given him invisibility. He could have slipped out during the middle of the night. Someone could have showed up and rescued him. They could have, could have, a whirlwind could have showed up, speaking of prophets of old, and taken him away. But instead, Daniel is exposed step by step to this process, thrown into a pit, stone rolled over, sealed, put on there, judged by the world. And all of this is because Daniel, for us, is a precursor to the story of Jesus. It highlights something that a lot of people miss about Jesus' story. Daniel finds himself, like Jesus, full of faith, poured out, empty, and alone. In the same way, Daniel the man is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, who though he was innocent, was envied and hated and condemned to die. He was handed over to the destroyers. He was nailed to a cross. He suffered. And then his body was taken down after his death, and he was put into a pit or a tomb And a stone was rolled across the entrance and an official seal was placed across the stone that said, this world has judged you. You are condemned. You've been destroyed. This is reminding us up until this point of how our God, like Daniel, as Daniel, I'll put it on the screen, chose the lions, so Jesus chose the cross. And as easily as Daniel, and I think this is really important and why it's so valuable to to sit inside these stories and let the color pour into your mind, because as easy as Daniel, physical Daniel, just like you and I, could have shut the cupboards that easy and so therefore not exposed himself to the judgment of the world, Jesus Christ, once here, seeing the brokenness of humanity, could have shut the cupboards on our salvation and said, I'm not going to do this. He could have snapped his fingers and disappeared one day, Out in the desert, one morning, the disciples could have came in with more goofy ideas on how to expand their their, their ministries. (laughs) Instead of just sitting with Jesus and learning, and he could have went like, Peter, shut your mouth, I'm out. (laughs) And I think it's as easy for Jesus to shut the cupboard on us as it was for Daniel to shut the cupboard on his prayer. And yet, like Daniel, Jesus remains, and he faces heaven, and he prays to God, and the world condemns him. It's a beautiful picture of what it means for our God who chose the cross because of his love for you, because of how important you are to him. He chose to be there for you, and he chose to suffer the consequences. Now, from here, the story switches back to a different picture, and it's a picture of how God's planning to rescue you and I in the future. It says eventually that Daniel does raise his eyes, and he does see an angel of the Lord. It says in Daniel 6, 19, Then at daybreak the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. And as he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Now, it goes on to to say Daniel's response, but if I was Daniel, I'd take like a strong 10-second pause right here. I think that's, that's a, that's, the king deserves that, I think, for not thinking a little wiser about his, his judgments. Like, I just would have been like, oh God, he's dead. I knew he was dead. I would have waited. And then as I heard the king start to go off, I would have said, oh king, because that would have been awesome. Oh king. Uh, where is it? Oh king, live forever. 
My God has sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him, and also before you, O king, have done no harm. Now, in this way, Daniel's salvation from the lion's den is a lovingly painted picture of how Jesus would in the future save all his children from their own pits of desperation. When we make choices that honor God and we find ourselves thrown before the destroyer, which by the way, Satan is the destroyer. The Bible says that he prowls around like a roaring lion. So he is a literal destroyer. And we fall into the pit, especially pits of consequences we've chosen. It says that Jesus just doesn't remove the lid and say, get on up out of here. He says he goes down into the pit with us and he resurrects our lives in the midst of the destruction and then raises us to a new life, bringing glory to him for all to see. It's, a, it's an incredibly undeniable picture of the physical way that Jesus enters your story. He doesn't stay up in his throne room and send some servants to kill the lions and, and bring you. He himself shows up. It says the angel of the Lord showed up with Daniel and Daniel hung out with him all night long. This beyond broken place, this beyond sad place. Now, there's some redemption going on here, too. If you look forward in Revelation, uh, and I forget the chapter, but it describes Jesus as the Lion of Judah. So you've got this beautiful redemption of Jesus is like a lion that prowls around. But then you've got Jesus, the Lion of Judah, the more powerful, all-consuming force of darkness, right, that consumes all forces of darkness with his own light. This is, an, you can't miss this. It's an invitation and to the physical aspect of what it means to be transformed by who Jesus is. He enters your story. He enters your brokenness. He enters where you are sitting. And he transforms the very thing you were trying to avoid to be the very thing that brings him glory. This is probably, I believe, the most missed part of the story of Daniel. And it's the part that convicted me the most. And I think will bless many of you the most. For it is also this entire picture, a beautiful picture of the ways consequences chosen can allow us to experience our lives the way they could be. For just as the very lion's den, which Daniel was desperately hoping to avoid, turned out to be the place of his greatest salvation, what if, what if, and I'll put it up there, the lion-filled place you and I are trying to avoid, where the costs are just too high to pay, could also be the holy and healing presence of God in our lives. You don't think Daniel woke up day after day in preparation for this lion pit journey thinking, God, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. I, 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 I've, this is my same routine. I've been praying this way since I was a child, 60, 70, 75 years. This is what I do. It's not me who changed. It's them, God. I don't want to do this. But he decides to choose the consequence of obeying God and so finds himself in a pit faced with destruction. And in that pit faced with destruction, out of all his 80 years, tell me, do you think there's a better day in Daniel's life than the ones when he's in the pit with the lion? Do you not realize it was the highlight of his existence? best night he ever had. You sat with the angel of the Lord, tell the story of get, again, Grandpa Daniel. I did. I landed down there. Huge lion. Next thing you know, light. Three hours later, we're talking about what's going on and who I am and how much he loves me. And I mean, this, there's no, this is the best day of his life, this place he tried to avoid. How many of us as Christians are trying to avoid the best days of our lives? 
because we don't want to go into the pit and because we don't want to choose the consequences of following Jesus and we're too afraid of what's down there when in reality what's down there is Jesus overcoming the destruction we're too afraid to face. This is an incredibly sobering reality. See, I wrote this down right here. I wrote this down. It's been known for a long time that many of the destructive choices made within a life are much more prescription-based than sickness-based. So you rage because as a child or as a young person, when you were out of control, it, 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 you got wounded, something happened to you. And so now you rage and everybody gives you 10 feet because daddy's angry. So you feel in control so you don't have to face the uncontrolled feelings that hurt you when you were a kid or earlier last year. You, you, uh, you, you take drugs. You overdrink because you are, can't handle the emotions and the feelings that, that happen to you when you are truly with yourself. And so you medicate yourself, constantly medicating yourself to avoid going into the pit of feeling the emotions because of what's been done to you and because of what you've done to other people. Those two things are way too hard for you to wrestle with. So why not have a few more shots? We can go on and on and on and on. There's people in this room who are apathetic because they tried really hard as a kid and it didn't happen. And so now you know what you are in your friendship group? You're that person who's always mediocre and neutral. You're not really a problem, but you're never really helpful. You're just kind of the person who if it, no one shows up, it's okay, but it's also okay if they're there. Because there's no risk, there's no cost, because something happened in your life and you're too afraid to talk about it. These are all self-prescribed antidotes for pain. They're all people who are choosing to avoid the consequences of going into the pit of who they really are. There was a study recently I saw in an interview uh, where they asked um, a whole bunch of men and women if they could sit with themselves for an hour completely alone with their own thoughts or they could receive an instant shock, an electric shock that would only last a second, but it was a pretty strong one. Almost 70% of the men chose the shock. <laughs> chose the shock, like what? Sit with myself for an hour? Hit me. I got stuff to do. No one's that busy. This is people who are trying to avoid themselves. Many of us, the very pit that we're trying to avoid is us. We're our own lions. And that's why we can't be intimate with our children, with our friends, with our families. That's why church is just something about it. Just, it just, it's like you can feel bugs crawling on your back. You're like, I don't like this. We sing songs about know me and, and, and come and see me and, and open my heart. And I'm, I'm good, man. I'm good. And yet it's in those places the Bible says that God most meets us. Have you ever considered why the Bible is so full of stories around God meeting people in the deepest of sorrows? The valleys, the storms, Isaiah 43, 2, when you pass through the waters, not in a boat on top of the waters, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, there shall not, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, through it, you shall not be burned and the flames shall not consume you. Notice it doesn't say that you won't feel the heat. Sorry. But these are the places where Jesus meets us. Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. How many people enjoy a good broken heart, right? I love those crushed spirit Thursdays. Don't you guys? Those are the best. And yet we say we want to feel Jesus. We want to know him, but we avoid broken hearts and crushed spirit like the plague. 
We don't choose our consequences according to the will of God. And because they're not freely chosen, I believe many of us feel and experience life choosing to distance ourselves from the very source of life. And so we live most of our life absolutely hollow and absolutely cut off and in so many ways missing the relationship Jesus wants to have with you and wants you to have with other people. Because I'm here to tell you, if you want to have an intimate marriage, there's a whole lot of brokenheartedness that goes into that. Just part of the deal. If you want to be close with your children, especially I know as they get up to be adults and have their own opinions, of which many you're like, what? But if you want to be close to them and, and, and experience their becoming, you're going to have some, some crushed spirit. You're going to have some, some choosing the consequence of disagreement or, 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 um, or uh, disengagement. You're going to have to decide which of those two matter most, and you're going to have to be present in that relationship. If you want to be part of the church, if you want to be part of this church, I'm just here to tell you, if there's one thing that I've continued to lay a foundation for, and that's for the reality that, that I have really no idea what I'm doing. That, that, that so much of the landscape God has allowed us to walk into as a church is brand new and changing to me. I didn't grow up in a church like this church. I didn't face a world like this world. And all I know is that if I'm going to choose the consequence of my faith, I want to do it with other people who are willing to sit in the messy with me, to walk into the valleys with me, to awake next to my brothers and my sisters in that pit of lions. Because I think Psalms, like Psalm 18, we read them like this. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. But I believe in my heart of hearts that Psalms like that, they're not, they're not written that way. They're written at the bottom of a pit with no escape out because I chose to follow Jesus and I'm being hunted and I'm being persecuted and I am facing the face of destruction and they are sitting in that pit feeling like prey with the world roaring around them and they're quiet with their eyes closed and their hands clenched and they're saying to God, hoping he's there and listening, the Lord is my rock and my fortress. He's my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my stronghold. He is my salvation. And they're begging for God to reveal himself in this place that he's brought them. This holy place where you are pouring forth your life to God where you are choosing the consequence of sitting with yourself. You're choosing the ground of the lion, the place of the lion, where you are present with God, not because you made a bunch of uh, uh, poorly calculated Christian decisions, because you knew right away, I'm going to choose Jesus and it's going to cost me these friends. I'm going to choose Jesus and it's going to cost me that promotion. I'm going to choose Jesus and it's going to cost me this family. I'm going to choose Jesus and it's going to cost me this, this profit, this amount of money. I'm going to choose Jesus and some people are going to lose respect for me. I'm going to choose Jesus and I'm going to hurt. And I'm going to hurt and I'm going to hurt. And everyone around me is going to say, God's abandoned you. And the world is going to judge you. And they are going to seal your fate. 
and a stone's gonna roll over your life and there in that darkness, you are gonna utter everything you have, which is hardly anything. And in the midst of that presence, I believe Jesus is gonna lift up your face like he lifted up Daniel's. He's gonna say, I have been waiting for this discussion since the day you were born. And you're gonna spend time with him with the angel of the Lord in the midst of your pain. And then one day, he's gonna restore your life. And you and him are gonna go for walks on Saturday afternoon down the streets of heaven. You're gonna talk about that day in the lion's den. And you're gonna say like Daniel, was there any other way you could have done that? Cause that just was so intense. Like seriously. Is there any other way I could have not lost the job, not lost the promotion, not lost the family members? And Jesus says, you know what he's going to say? You chose your consequence. Just like I chose mine. I chose the cross for you, Danny. He chose the cross for you, church. Whatever you're going to choose for him, it doesn't really measure up. And he's okay with that. So I want to give you a few minutes to meditate from this place because it's a hard, hard place to get to. This place of the lion. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes or bow your head, whatever you do to, to get into that place of meditation. And I'm going to ask you to ask the Lord to bring before you right now consequences that you can choose. Things you can lay down. Habits, addictions, emotional absentness, places you can go, places you can stay away from. I, I don't know. I don't know what your lion's den is. I just know that he does, and I know he's waiting for you there. Lord, in this room right now are so many people who are prepared to walk with you to this place that is holy and vulnerable, this place of consequences chosen. Lord, I ask over the next few minutes you would highlight, you would break open what it might look like to choose to follow you into those valleys, into those deep waters full of darkness and fire, a place where the world judges us lost, but a place, God, where you know we'll be found. Please just take our hands right now. Receive our worship as we just sit with you and your Holy Spirit in the place of the lion.